our ability to imagine what our life could be is limited, whereas the possibilities of what it can be are much grander. I think once you've lived a little bit, then you can have more of a perspective where you can look back on those instances where like, oh, thank God I didn't get that thing or that didn't happen for me. So that when you do go through it again, you can remind yourself like, oh, it's okay. Like maybe this was good that I didn't get this thing. It's harder to do that in the beginning, but you know, I try to do that now. It's hard, but I try to do it. I try and like almost think about seeing the end in the beginning. Like when something feels really awful thinking about what it's going to feel like in a year, and maybe I'll feel so thankful. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. If you're in the D.C. area this weekend, we've got Monroe Martin headlining Big Hunt. Monroe is a very funny comic from New York who has been on The Tonight Show and Last Comic Standing. You can get tickets and info on the website. Our guest today is Elahe Azadi. Elahe is a good friend of mine and a very funny local comic who has been performing in the area for years. She is also a pop culture writer for the Washington Post. Elahe and I were both at the Kennedy Center on Sunday night for the Mark Twain Prize, which was given to Dave Chappelle. We talk about that night and what it's like trying to balance stand-up comedy and being a full-time journalist. I saw you the other night at the Mark Twain Prize for Dave Chappelle at the Kennedy Center. It was a pretty exciting night. Yep. Did you have fun? I did. I uh, We were both there for the ceremony, uh-huh. which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, what'd you think? Well, I had like... Uh, I didn't have very high expectations going into it just because I, I just don't like I don't get excited about overly formal things. And so it's kind of fancy and it's, you know, it's like it, it's set up kind of like an award show. And, you know, those are like not really my favorite things. And I don't really get excited about celebrities. So it's not a thing that naturally appeals to me. But I did think. It was really nice. Yeah, and I don't know if you've watched previous um, ones televised the Mark Twain Awards, no. but this one I like. I think is among the best that yeah. have been done. There was a lot of music, and yeah. I mean the musicians that perform like those are my favorite musicians. Yeah, they were pretty good. So I was like more ex- not more excited, but I was very excited to see like Q-Tip and Most Def perform and, John and come out. John Legend, Common. Erica Badu, I yeah. mean, having all them come out. Um, so that was pretty exciting. And then, yeah, it, it's funny because Sarah Silverman, and when she came out to, to say her thing about Chappelle, she was like, this is kind of like a funeral, but you're there to witness. Oh, it. yeah, that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> yeah, it was totally like that, where everyone would come out, you know, say something very sweet about Chappelle. Um, I thought Neil Brennan was amazing. He did a great job. He really, He really nailed it really confident and uh just well written yeah and like the appropriate mix of i'm gonna slightly roast you yeah (laughs) but also be heartfelt but also have several jokes and also reveal things that many people in the audience didn't know Mm -hmm. so it was like interesting even when it wasn't at moments funny or -hmm. heartfelt um and obviously like he has the most in terms of creatively like the longest relationship yeah. with him and the most intimate creative relationship with him. So he had a lot to say. I thought the guys from SNL, um, Keenan Thompson, Michael Che, Colin Jost really like hit a good note. Yeah, they did. They weren't up there that long, but like right. they each said something that was really funny and uh-huh. also like meaningful. Um, 
I think Colin Jost got the biggest laugh of the night. Probably. Yeah. What was his line like? And I'm here to talk about Mark Twain. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's talking about Chappelle for like an hour straight. And <laughs> Keenan comes out and says some nice stuff. And then Che says some good stuff. And then everybody just turns to Colin Jost. And it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And so then the, I'm here to talk about Mark Twain was uh, it just got that huge laugh. Right. It was I think it was by far the biggest laugh. Yeah. And just like letting it linger. Right. was really nice and Che had a pretty good line too like you know Dave just makes fun of everybody you know it doesn't matter he makes fun of everybody you know white people gays end of list yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which was hilarious and also like a nice ro- nice roast yeah it is nice to hear somebody kind of like joke back at Chappelle who is on his side yeah. you know what I mean because people that are on Chappelle's side are usually spend all of their time defending him and nobody is ever really like making lighthearted jokes at him and so it was kind of nice it was a nice uh i guess break from the comedy civil war (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) the brutal civil war (laughs) which uh you know for the night it wasn't really i mean there were some vague references to it but you know it was for the most part not like uh didn't feel like there was any like negative energy in the air at all. Yeah. And I thought at the end where Chappelle, so when he goes up to accept the award, he, he made some remarks about um, defending the art. And then he said, I'm not talking about the content. I'm yeah. talking about the art itself. So I don't know. I'm still like unpacking that and thinking about that. But I thought that was an important distinction mm-hmm. um, that requires some reflection because I think it is easy when you hear a comedian's jokes to start arguing about the content. And I mean, like everything is fair game in my view. Like you can argue and disagree and not like something. Um, but thinking about it at that level about the art rather than the content and not yeah. like necessarily defending the content yeah yeah it, it is it was interesting to hear him talk about it i thought it was also nice because it it, it feels like you know Chappelle. it he feels like burdened to me by having to i think in his mind he feels like he has to keep pushing forward in the direction that he's going when he's getting resistance he has to continue in that he he can't back off once he's getting pushback on the topics or the way that he's doing stand up. Once he starts getting pushed back, it seems to me that his feeling is that he needs to that tells him he's got to push further in that direction. And in that and that's kind of what I see in his specials and, you know, kind of what comments he's made in interviews and when he's on SNL and stuff like that. And then on Sunday night, it didn't really that felt like it was let go for a night and it wasn't it didn't really have anything to do with that aspect of whether or not you're pushing boundaries or saying things that you're not supposed to say or that type of a thing i mean they did acknowledge some of that i think and it's funny but i didn't feel the defensiveness from Chappelle. right neither I, did did I. I felt like he f- seemed relaxed and he seemed unconcerned with that aspect of it i mean yeah he did reference it like you're saying but it wasn't in a it didn't come off to me in a defensive way whereas some of the material does feel a little bit defensive to me. right it's funny to me when people think about old Chappelle versus new Chappelle because as if like those are distinct things i think if you go back now and watch a bunch of Chappelle's show, mm-hmm. nothing has really he changed. I think he's always been a comedian who enjoyed being provocative, kind of for the sake almost of being provocative and also because it seems interesting and 
honestly fun to him to be very silly and kind of like smart knowing what he's doing even when he's being stupid, but yeah. he's being purposefully stupid. Yeah. So I think like all the pushback just actually makes him want to keep going mm-hmm. in some direction because he kind of takes a turn of this is fun for me. Right. Not in a mean spirited way, but I understand why people feel there's a mean spirit behind some of it, or at least they're receiving it in that way because of the broader so- social context mm-hmm. that, his jokes about trans people come in. So I think like, I don't know. I, I also didn't feel this defensiveness, but also it's at a night where people are honoring him and saying only positive yeah, things nice, about him. The nicest things, the nicest things said by all of his friends and the people who like him the most. So yeah. And actually, so we were both at the reception afterwards at mm-hmm. the Kennedy center. Um, and that was really dope. Like, DJs were on stage and all of the very famous people were cordoned off behind this partition. And I didn't think that Chappelle or any of these guys would come out on stage, but Chappelle came out leading the party. And then what was crazy to me is like, you know, DJ would drop like an MC Light song and mm-hmm. then MC Light would come out and he'd play like a <laughs> Fat Five Freddy song and then Fat Five Freddy came out. I'm like, does this guy like know every, is everybody in hip hop behind this partition? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was really fun. Um, and then actually I went to the after after party. Uh-huh. So, and that was, I was just, I was like, where am I? <laughs> like, what is this? Were you were in because there were so many celebrities there. I don't, so I'm like you, I don't really get starstruck. Uh-huh. I think it's a function of also my job. Like sure. I just don't feel that. Uh-huh. There were lots of very famous comedians, but I was really like struck and blown away by the music because mm. these musicians who were performing are like they're the musicians who got me through college. Yeah, the yeah. ones I've like grown up listening to who I like have like an intimate relationship with their art uh-huh. and they were just getting on stage performing and out of fun. Yeah. It was they weren't like getting paid to do this. You know, they're just having a good ass time. So I turn around and like feet away from me is Q-Tip and Mostaf just on stage freestyling. And then they pull up Erica Badu. Thundercat is on base. This is the after after party? This is the after after party. Thundercat is on base. Then Common joins. Literally, like all of these musicians are on stage. Chris Tucker comes up does a Michael Jackson cover because, you know, he does a great Michael impersonation and can sing well. He's up there like all these comics are getting on stage like Chappelle's having the time of his life. Marlon Wayans like uh, everybody. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize all those people were there. Yeah, I think there were a lot of people during the ceremony who were sitting kind of in the front row like Chappelle shouted out Chance the Rapper. Right. So I'm assuming there were like several big names right in the front there. Um, So, yeah, man, that that was really wild. And you're just standing there thinking like where am i yeah and i was there until like at some point it was like 4 15 a.m and i was like i can't continue to be here right anymore. <laughs> like this is still going like Chappelle just let us in a sing-along because he'll stay he'll stay up all night yeah we were just singing along to killing me softly he told the story about roberta flack and like roberta flack's from dc and how he named a special killing him softly because 
to him, that was the most beautiful song that came from this city. And so we sang along to the song along with Erica Badu. And I was just like, what else is going to happen here that ha- like, I just, I have to go to work in the morning. Wow. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to leave. And I left as he led us everyone in a sing along to creep by Radiohead. Oh, that's hilarious. That's <laughs> what they started the night with creep. Exactly. That was the first song that they played. I think that was like before the actual, yeah. um, ceremony started that's like one of his favorite songs yeah. to have like karaoke too yeah well, it's it's one of the best songs of all time yeah so. it's a pretty good song i yeah i was like i i was pretty confident that Chappelle was going to come out even though they were all behind they right. were all in that back area i was like there's no way he's not going to come out and say thanks for at yeah. least for people being there um even if it's only for a minute or so but i was also like I'm so tired. This has been such a long week. (laughs) Like so like Benson ball was going, going on. Like I've been doing stuff since like Wednesday and, uh, I had family in town. I had friends in town on top of it, separate from all of that stuff. And, uh, I was like, I just got to call it, man. I'm I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to hang through all of this, but I, I feel like for you, it's like, you're, you're still kind of doing your job. Yeah. So I thought it was important to, go to and i guess we should say you work for the washington post yeah and you write about pop culture and i write about pop culture and i write a bit about comedy and so for me it was important i wasn't covering these events but i thought it was important to be there to just witness some of this stuff Uh, definitely yeah and including the after after party um just being able to make some connections or reconnect i had uh done a feature I've done a I did a feature about a month or two ago on Keenan Thompson mm-hmm. and so I was able to reconnect with him there um so do you consider him your close friend now no <laughs> <laughs> he's not my close friend uh but he's someone who I've profiled but he recognizes you oh yeah no and we reconnected but you know when I try to maintain this sort of uh and maybe you can relate to this in your work you know like you are producing comedy shows and you become friendly with the people you hire to come in from out yeah. of town or whatever, you know, but you know, like when I interview or pr- profile Keenan, like I'm not going to ask for a selfie at the end of it, you know, like yeah. I never, I never feel, co- I never do that when I'm on the clock. Yeah. Um, and I still wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Um, there's other comics who I might be in a position to write about, that I, I don't write about because it could be perceived as right. a conflict of interest. Um, and that's okay. I think that my job is a lot less serious than yours. And I think that your professional boundaries that you have with friendship and what you can write about and stuff, I don't think it applies to comedy as much, mm-hmm. if at all. Um, I wouldn't ask a comic to take a selfie because I would never take a selfie with anybody Um, (laughs) yeah i'm trying to picture a scenario i don't like like being in pictures i don't (laughs) like getting my picture taken um so uh for that reason i wouldn't and i also don't just i don't even like asking people for things at all so with headliners and stuff i try i don't generally ask them to do anything but i like if we end up hanging out and being friends then to me they'll they'll just be my friend you know right exactly and i they can be my friend and i can work with them and yeah there's I mean, not there's not really a, a barrier to it in comedy. 
And like, to be clear, if I'm, you know, doing a club run or on shows with a comic, like sometimes I will want a photo at the end just to commemorate. Like this was a really great time we had. But together. that's you being a comic. That's me being a comic. But yeah, when I'm because like, as a comic, that's normal. That's normal. And I think it's like makes sense. It doesn't feel like I'm trying to get something from someone. Right. It's like a nice way to commemorate this like time we had together because you know during shows you're on the stage by yourself but the majority of the time you're in the green room with the headliner with right, the feature right and so sometimes you like do form friendships or professional do, yeah. friendships or relationships with people and so i think that's fine yeah but yeah like for instance it's funny we're talking about this because at this after after party Chappelle repeatedly was asking people to put their phones away to stop taking pictures of him or not just him. He was just asking. Yeah, I understand. People yeah, that's a, that's part of one of his philosophies, his philosophies. And, you know, he asked several times in the beginning and then towards the end, uh, he um, some people were taking taking and he just was like, you know what? have the courage to make a memory right now and like put your phone away. Yeah. I took a couple photos at like the beginning of the night. Um, and then, you know, tried to like think like, you know, heed his call to just like yeah. be in this incredible moment. Right. Um, and it's funny. I don't know. Like, you know, when you go to a comedy show, you have your phone away. And I think when you go to the shows that make you put your phone in the yonder pouches, yeah. There's some sort of psychological release there that does allow you to just turn off whatever's happening yeah. outside that space. You know, I, I didn't thought about that, but thinking about it, and I've never been to a show where you had to do that. Oh, really? He Have requires you, you. I know. Yeah, I know he does yeah. and Louie does and Kevin some, Hart does. some clubs, like all their shows are that way. Yeah. But it is an interesting idea because I could imagine it changing the energy in the room completely apart from whether someone's going to take a picture or record just the fact that you know you can't look at your phone it's just like if you're at the pool and you don't have your phone with you mm -hmm. like if you're away from it and you're just like oh it's just great to be away from it yeah it's great to not even think about checking your email or you know that stuff so I could imagine it increasing the, the quality of the show just from people's minds being more clear yeah and I think that that's one aspect of why phones are so frustrating for stand-ups because stand-up is a is an art that takes place with a particular group of people i mean this is aside from it being recorded for a special mm -hmm. or filmed for an album right or recorded for an album yeah, um, but the live stand-up part of it the live stand-up part of it you're in a room with these 200 people mm -hmm. and you're having this experience together and your jokes are for these people and you know, isolating a joke out of the entire show, out of the context. Um, it's not actually representative of what's happening. This is one reason why in my work, because I write a lot about comedy, I don't really like reporting on comedians' materials and quoting it. Like, Of course not. Like I, I and I find one of my frustrations when I read just straight news coverage of and, and you know, some comedians jokes are newsworthy given like of broader course, context. Of course. Right? So I'm not talking about saying no, like no. totally, but generally speaking, you know, writing about a comics joke as if it's their personal opinion or position or belief. I mean, maybe you're not surprised, but I see that a lot and it's incredibly frustrating to me because that to me, that's like 
reporting on a musician's lyric as yeah. if that's a position or a belief. I'm not saying that the lyric or the joke is above reproach, can't be critiqued. People are not allowed to be offended. People can feel all sorts of feelings, but it's not like a literal, this is literally how I feel about the world. Yeah, and if you do stand-up comedy, that's very obvious to you because you end up with jokes that aren't exactly what your opinion is, but you know in order for the joke to work its best, like to get the best response, this is what you have to say. Like, you're gonna have you you're gonna have to take out all your caveats because you don't have time to make your caveats, and it will ruin the joke if you put them in. So you just have to say things bluntly, and that gets you the laugh. But if you're gonna get interrogated on your opinions, and that blunt comment is held out there as the core of your belief on the topic, it's a misrepresentation. Totally. And I, it's the the thing with the lyrics is you know exactly the same. Because I think about all the time about how, you know, I, you know, like when you're like young, you know, lyrics are like so important to you. Like they mean so much to <laughs> you. You like quote them everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You put them on your you're aim like, and so go. This is so deep. <laughs> this is so deep. This means so much. Yeah. But then there's like, ba- like, uh, my wife, like loves the Beatles. Like not, I don't know that she loves the Beatles, but she listens, her dad loves the Beatles. She listens to it, uh, in her car and stuff. And whenever I'm listening to it with her, I'm like, these lyrics are so stupid. <laughs> they're so dumb. <laughs> they're and so there's, basic. And there are a <laughs> lot of bands like that where... Do you they, mean, sorry, do you mean they're dumb because they're just so simple? It's nonsense. Or it's it just does, nonsense. It has no meaning. Doesn't it doesn't mean, mean anything. anything. Uh-huh. It's just a bunch of gibberish. Okay. And I think that they would, ad- I don't know that much about the Beatles, so I'm hesitant to get into this, but... But you're on the record But I've already it. started it, yeah. <laughs> Finish it up. But they, it's just nonsense. And a lot of music is that way, and that's okay. It's n- it doesn't have to m- like the lyrics don't have to be so deep. If you're gonna write sixty songs, you know it's hard to make them all unique and meaningful. Like y- you're gonna have to just fill some stuff up. <laughs> and also music, there's the lyrics, but then there's the the poetry of how it's delivered, the instrumentation, all the sonic elements that go into right. how it's intoned. All of that you miss when you're just writing it out. Yeah, it's the same with totally. comedy that you can write something out, but you're missing even like the way a comic says something, the where the pauses are, the tone of voice, and then the broader context of the goodwill they've built up with the mm-hmm. audience throughout the show. Like for me, some of I like I'll have jokes that might alienate a certain segments of the audience and I'll try and do them at the end of a set to demonstrate I'm not an asshole. Like oh, my you're saying previous you build up the good w- will first. Yeah, you build. I mean, that's how I like. I know not all comics approach it that way. Like some, some comics do the opposite. Some do the opposite. They love to be like, dig out, out of here. The hole. You dig out of the hole. Um, and so for me, I like to like to slide back down I like the to mountain. Sli- <laughs> she builds up a mountain of goodwill and she slides down it at the end back no, to zero. No, I like to see what I can get away with and if I can have people laugh along with me and see that I am not literally stating an opinion. You know, um, I love to kind of get in that space where... Where I, they're... La- you're saying like... Where I can like call out a white man in the audience for being a white man. Oh, I know what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and like he's laughing with me. So basically, 
you're getting them all juiced up on comedy, <laughs> right? You get them all wound up and excited. They're laughing. You tell them one joke after another. Before I go, my then screen. you start. <laughs> then you start shitting on white dudes, and they they keep laughing at it because they were already <laughs> no, laughing. No, they're jokes though. They know they're no, no. Jokes I know, but if point. you came out, if you came out, and it was the first thing you said, yeah, it would probably people will be like because they're not warm to you, mm-hmm. or know who I or, am. Yeah, right? or they might not be warm at all. Like you, you know, who knows what you're going on stage to? Right. But if you come out. And you start going directly at them. Sometimes it works, but a lot of times you'll put yourself in a hole. Yeah. And, you know, that's just what I'm comfortable with. I'm not saying it's like maybe it's the easy way out, but I like to be in. For me, I like to perform comedy when I'm feeling very comfortable with myself and I want to be able to. I don't know, like. Yeah, I don't I, I feel like I want the audience to have some sense of who I am. And I don't mean like who I know who I am by the information I'm revealing on stage, but know who I am as far as my energy, mm-hmm. my disposition, mm-hmm. whether I'm a good person or not, mm-hmm. um, whether I care about other people or myself or not, like those sorts of How things. How confident are you that you're a good person? Um, I'm pretty confident that I, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty confident. You're pretty nice. I mean, I'm confident. I don't know whether I'm a good person, but I'm confident that I'm aware enough that that is important to me. And Uh so I think that that is someone striving to be a good person is like as good as anyone could. I've been kind of toying with that idea of trying to be a good person How's that lately. going for you? Well, it's a, I found it interesting. It's very intriguing to me, you know, just trying to be good all the time. So, yeah, it is. It, well, it's really hard, um, mm-hmm. and I often fail, and so... What are your biggest failures? My biggest failures. No, you don't <laughs> no, say we can talk <laughs> What are the worst things you've ever done? Oh, God, I think I've blocked them from my memory. That's good, yeah. It's best not to think <laughs> yeah, about it. It doesn't usually, do you any good. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, you know, I think also a mark of when you're trying to be good is when you do mess up and hurt someone. Even if it's small, you're just like riddled with. Yeah, it right. Feels it feels awful. terrible. Uh huh. And that to me tells me I'm not a sociopath. So that's like a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also like, not that this inherently makes you good, but I'm a very sensitive person. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of overreact when I do feel like I've hurt someone like maybe mm-hmm. I like take it too per I like beat myself up too much almost and I think that's kind of egotistical so anyway well, I think it's a very common comedian uh way of thinking and, and being sensitive I yes, think you I have agree. to be sensitive to be a comedian I agree to be totally. a good comedian and if you're going to be sensitive you're going to dwell on things and you have to dwell on things in a way to be able to write and think through these ideas um but I think that that's just being a comedian you're worried about what you said you're worried about being a good person you're selfish a little bit uh you know those those are just all the things right that that all the the personality mix that makes a comedian yeah and at the same time i think like my sort of watchword with a lot of things in life is moderation like when i don't know how to be or what to do i ask myself like not moderation as far as like take a coward's way out but what's the like mi- what's the what do they call it the middle path or the middle way or something yeah i don't so know what it is but it's so one like of those extremes yeah. can k- kind of get you in trouble sometimes as far as like you know responding in th- with these sorts of questions or grappling with these sorts of questions so i think you know like 
I do think comedians are very sensitive. I think you have to have empathy Mm -hmm. in order to respond and deconstruct and understand the world enough so that you can comment on it and turn jokes out of it. Um, But sometimes, you know, we hold on to the pain that we've that we cause ourselves by doing harm. And we almost like hold that up as our personality or identity. And I think letting go of some of like, oh, I've hurt someone. I'm such a terrible person. Like, okay, come on. You oh, get over saying, it. At oh, some yes, point. yes. You got to keep it going. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You can't retreat into yourself. You can't keep beating yourself up because you're not doing anyone any good. Like it's too self-centered yeah. of a way to be. But like you're right, doing stand-up while trying not to be self-centered, which is what I'm trying to do, but it's very hard, <laughs> is a is an interesting exercise, and you're constantly battling with yourself. You know? All yeah. How do you? Because you know, if you're gonna, pers- I mean, if you're doing stand-up at all your part of it is you're going on stage and you want people to listen to you and appreciate what you're saying. But then if you continue doing stand up and you, you know, you go further and further, you get to a point where you're trying to have a following, right? You want to, and you want to have people interact with your content. And then you're like, you know, you're making yourself a public figure and it's, there is a certain amount of, self-centeredness i think to to want that i don't know how do you balance how do you balance trying to be like selfless while also pursuing those things it's so funny because the latter thing you said about trying to create a following i don't even think i think about that and maybe this is why i'm not like a uber successful comedian in some ways um i think if you but with my like with my journalistic work like yeah you know because a lot of your cachet and what you bring is, you know, do people care when you write something? Do people care when you are putting yourself out there? And so much of your work with stand-up and with journalism is tied to your your name and your identity. Yeah. So I do think about this a lot. Um, and to me, when I kind of have like an existential crisis about it, I just try and keep grounded in how, like what I'm presenting to the world, like on stage or through my work is a representation of what I think the world needs or is good something good to put into the world mm-hmm. rather than my personal self. Yeah. Um, it's easier to do that with journalism because even though like you're writing these things, you're promoting it, you're trying to get people to read it, like the content itself isn't really about you. You're writing about other people. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I also try and view my jokes that way. Like it's it's not really like literally about me. Like I'm not really revealing like my the depths of my soul on stage. I'm trying to put into words and form and into an entertaining way concepts or ideas that I think that I enjoy, that mm-hmm. I think are funny, that um, it's one contribution to our shared existence. So people can like laugh at some stupid joke and maybe it makes them feel seen because they can relate really yeah. well to it or it's a experience or thought or perspective that they never considered. And it can be like literally the stupidest thing. And sometimes the stupid, my stupidest jokes are the ones that like I like the most. Oh yeah. They're the best. Yeah. They're the best. Um, and I think there's like value in putting a lot of really stupid, silly <laughs> material. Oh, I do too. In the world. And I don't ever try and write a joke or tell a joke because I think it's like a quote unquote message, but it's more of like a feeling um, to put out or something we could share together. And yeah, it's just kind of funny thinking about this because since I've been writing more about comedy, um, 
you know, I don't like my materialism. <laughs> you mean because as you're as you're exposed to the highest levels of yeah. comedy, you start to doubt yourself? Not even doubt myself, but I think I heard Ira Glass once say on This American Life, which is like, wow, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty nerdy thing. Um, that uh, It's almost old school. Nobody talks about Ira school. Glass anymore. Yeah. He was Don't so big. Yeah. This the original podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Radio. Yeah. Um, that your taste is always more evolved than your ability. Yeah. That's like his famous quote. Yeah. You start with taste. And that also, it'll always be that way. Uh-huh. Your taste is always going to be more advanced than your ability. Mm-hmm. And that's like, so I relate to that. And I think the, the gap between my ability and taste has grown so much because I'm spending my working life. Yeah trying to develop a very refined taste not just like a personal taste but the ability to listen and hear and deconstruct and then interview like the people who are the best at this right um and and talk with them about what it is they're doing and trying to understand it and so when you're like spending all your time talking to the people who are like literally the best at something then you try to do it and you're like what the hell am i this yeah. this is garbage yeah yeah and then like everyone around you're just like why what is what is any of this um do you think uh do, i mean do you think that it has helped you improve as you've learned all of this do you think it's made a big difference or do you think that like you're still just on the path that you were on just gradually getting better? I think it's helped in the sense that I am awake to how bad things are. Like when something is not, you know how when you start out, you start doing material oh, yeah. and you think it's like amazing just because people are laughing. Like yes. that's the only measure you have of whether something is uh-huh. good or not. Yeah. And now, and then you get to a point where you can, you or other people are performing and you're kill they're killing or you're killing but you're like, this material is not good. Right. <laughs> I watched a, a tape recently um, and it was a, of a, a new comic and he was getting laughs. But the but the material was like, you're watching the material, you're like, okay, eventually all these jokes got to go. Like, you don't want to be doing any of this stuff on stage. But you're brand new and this is where you start. Like, you got to you gotta say sex jokes or whatever the most obvious thing to you is that's funny. You got to like, just get yourself started so you can have some decent sets and you can start working new jokes in, but you're going to start off writing terrible stuff. There's no way like every once in a while people can come in genius level, but it's for the most part, you start off bad. Yeah. And I think just being hyper awake to how bad (laughs) when something is like, Oh, it's pretty good. And you're like, I don't know if it's I don't think doubt is the right word because it's like accurate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like a belief thing about yourself, but well, it, but but I mean, in a way, you're comparing yourself to the wrong people. Exactly. And so that's like the thing to ground ground oneself in. And I think for me, one and I think this is true of a lo- many artists, all comics, you know, it's very easy to compare yourself to other people. Journalists too, like when, when so much of what you do is tied literally to your name, to your face, to like your physical presence. Yeah. It's very easy to wrap up your sense of self-worth with how you're being received and what gigs you're getting and yeah. what shows you're getting put on sure. and how you're, you know, all of, like how many followers you yeah. have. Like, with journalism, there's so many like literal metrics that one can use that feel objective. Um, I think more so than with stand up because it isn't 
a meritocracy. Um, no, I mean, nothing is really. Exactly. And so I think it's like a little more, it's easier to parse that out maybe with stand-up than, than with, you know, an online presence. But that also isn't it's a funny meritocracy. Because a lot of those metrics are almost, they can, all, they can, they can guide you the wrong direction. Exactly. They can take you away from what you're supposed to be doing and take you in a way that is just trying to get clicks, trying to get likes, you know, that yeah. you, you can end up down a real bad path if that's what you're, what, what you're working with. For sure. And also it's really important to contextualize it and understand that this is like one piece of information, just like getting on a show that means a lot or getting booked at a venue that it's like a huge deal for you to perform in this venue is like, one piece of information it's not actually the story about who you are and what your worth is um it's easy to turn it into that right yeah so because you because you only have so many you know you doubt yourself you're doing a difficult thing and you're like you're looking for little signs that you're doing the right thing you know so you need some reinforcement yeah and i think i think there is benefit to like putting like how i approach all of this stuff in my life is you put forth effort, you like you put in the work and you see what you're confirmed in. Um, and no one can really tell you what that is. You just have to sort of feel it. And so to keep yourself kind of grounded constantly so that those things like, you know, you get the show, you get like whatever it is are actually like confirmations of, oh, I'm doing the thing I should be right. doing rather than like just luck or mm -hmm. whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just think if you're clear minded and you keep your spirit clear, then you can feel that more purely. Um, but yeah, like so many times, like especially in, in with journalism stuff, like I didn't get a thing. And then, you know, I like I didn't get a job. Right. And then six months later, I got a way better job right. at the same place. Yeah. Like way better all around. Right. Yeah. Or like and like so many things I've done in my life, like I never would have imagined that I would be doing like the Chappelle, like after after party, for instance, was right. like a very like clear thing to me about that. Like I was thinking about like 20 year old me and like what she would have thought that she was in this space. Like I yeah. never would have dreamed that this would I don't even know how I like how one ends up in this kind of a situation but to me that's like very important to reflect on and remember definitely because I don't think there's really such a thing as like failing like you mess up and you you don't get things but failure I guess you can fail but there's no such thing as failure because as long as you're putting forth the effort a failure is when you don't I guess put forth the effort but if you're putting in the work you're doing your part and you don't get a thing, maybe like that's the biggest blessing in your life. Like you shouldn't have gotten that thing. Yeah. D yeah. I mean, that's definitely true. And I think, you know, it's easy to see for in other people's lives. It's harder when you don't get it. It's just that time in between. It's the time in between not getting it and then yeah. getting the better thing that feels so bad. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you look back on it and you think, you know, thank God I didn't get that Yeah, because it would have taken me down this other road that, you know, I, I don't think I wanted to be on in the first place. Totally. And I think like it's a universal thing where we don't have the level of creativity that like our ability to imagine what our life could be is limited by the actual pot is limited, whereas the possibilities of what it can be are much grander. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, so I think once you've lived a little bit, then you can have more of a perspective where you can look back on those instances right. where like, oh, thank God I didn't get that thing or that yeah. didn't happen for me. So that when you do go through it again, you can remind yourself like, oh, it's okay. Like maybe this was good that I didn't get this thing. Um, it's harder to do that in the beginning, but you know, I try to do that now. It's hard, but I try to do it. I try and like almost think about seeing the end in the beginning. Like when something feels really awful, thinking about what it's going to feel like in a year yeah, and maybe I'll feel so thankful. Yeah. I mean, that's a good attitude. So to keep it. <laughs> you said that you, you don't reveal very much about you in your stand up. <laughs> do you think that that, limits your stand-up or do you think that you can have be just as effective without revealing aspects of your personal life it could probably be way more effective if i revealed like personal information yeah um and kind of went there uh because you know you're being like it feels very vulnerable to the audience and maybe one day i will do that and I think people who do that it takes a lot of courage but it's like a big commitment mm -hmm. to do that and I don't know I like not I like revealing a sort of dimension of myself because I don't think anything I'm doing isn't me it's no, not no. like a person it's not like a persona that I've built up but it's like almost like you're looking through a different lens of an aspect of me to me it's a little bit of uh it's just it's your public version of you yeah. It's the public Allahe. Yeah. Whereas there are comedians where you watch them on stage and you're just like, oh, that's that's them. Do you feel like, I mean, you work with so many comics. Is that actually them, though? Well, no, it's never like truly. Isn't it always you. kind of a persona? Yes, it's always a persona and it's always a heightened version of themselves. Right. You have to. You can't just walk on stage and talk like you were on a podcast. And that's an easy way to tell. It's like, what do people sound like when they're on podcasts? That's true. It, yeah. Because that's pretty close to their regular personality. They're just sitting there talking. I think maybe like, I mean, now that I said podcast, it made me think of Stavros. He's not too different when you're talking to him off stage and when you're listening to him on a podcast and when you see him on stage. It's all he's making the same types of comments, the same types of jokes. He's it's pretty it's all pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. And he he has a very self-deprecating and very open brand where he's willing to talk about. I mean, that's the type of person he is. I mean, he'll walk around naked like he doesn't yeah. care, like he's wide open. So uh, to me, that's like the extreme, <laughs> figuratively extreme, and literally. <laughs> extreme version of yeah. that. Right. I remember, I can remember the first time I saw you do stand up. Oh God. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it was at, do you know, do you know where it would be? No. How long? When, I don't even remember when I met you. We didn't meet. We were just on the show together. I don't remember. We didn't talk. It was at Solly's. Okay. When Brandon ran it? Yeah. When Weatherby was the, ho there used to be three hosts. Who else was the host? It was, uh, oh Wow. I'm drawing a blank now. Peter Heinerman and this other dude that had a mustache <laughs> and a shaved head. I can't think I can't forget his name. But anyway, there's these three there were three dudes. Eventually, I think Solly's was like they cut how much they were paying them. And so they had been splitting it three ways and then Weatherby was like, I, I'm just gonna do this and you guys are done. And so then it was just Weatherby after that. Um but I remember uh, the reason why y 
I remember you in particular was that I was used to being around a certain group of people that were in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And this was a show. This is the first show I started doing in D.C. Was this like 2012? Yeah, this is probably maybe before. No, no. Earlier. Yeah. Uh, So this is probably like almost nine years ago, probably eight and a half years ago. So, uh, anyway, all the shows I was doing were were in Northern Virginia and I knew those people. And then there were people from who did DC shows who would come to Northern Virginia and do those shows also. So I knew them, but then I never saw you in Northern Virginia Mm -hmm. and why would anyone go there? Right. Well, there's a lot of good shows there. Yeah, exactly. Then I learned. (laughs) Yeah. So, which is weird. There weren't very many good shows in DC. All the good shows were in. Or a lot of the good shows were in Northern Virginia and now it's switched. But uh, yeah, but I was like, there's something weird about this girl. (laughs) There's something as unusual about this person. You're not a regular comic. That was my impression. Is there like a value negative or positive to that impression? No, because I was like, you seem very adult and very (laughs) confident and very like composed and like you in business like and like you went up on stage you performed and then you just left i and, love doing that and there was no <laughs> like you weren't hanging out you yeah. weren't like with friends you you know it it oh seemed God, like, like a sociopath or something. it seemed I, it just seemed it was unu- like a transactional <laughs> it just seemed unusual to me i'm just like what is this girl's deal like and like why is she so confident because i could tell you were new like mm-hmm. how long have you been doing stand-up so it's weird because I actually started a very long time ago, but uh-huh. then I took like huge breaks. Yeah. So I actually started in 2006. Okay. Like I started, like I think the first mic I was on, like Seton Smith, Aparna, like all those guys, wow. like Rory maybe, they were all on yeah, this wow, mic. Wow, wow. So this was like way back and I was still in college. So I did it for six months and then after I graduated. How often were you doing it during that six months? Um, You know, like back then there'd be like a couple mics a week kind of a thing. Over the summer I was doing more like I would do. Okay, but that's pretty legit. Um, Yeah, like I was doing it, you know, Um, like over the summer. Yeah. But then I moved abroad and then I came back and I was like working in journalism and it required a lot of that. So I just wasn't doing it for a long time. So it was very much like in and out, in and out. So maybe when you saw me was when I was just getting back into it. Yeah. And, you know, like you start and then you take a year and a half break. You're basically starting all over. Absolutely. I mean, you you have some experience. You have some some experience so that maybe like in terms of the confidence, like I know what it feels like to be in front of people. Yeah. But like. And you're not totally nervous being at a show. Yeah. Um, And probably at that time I was working like a crazy job Mm. where, yeah, I'm not going to like hang out here. I got to go home and do work or go to bed or something. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. And then I don't. You know, I like I remember you from that, but then I don't really I don't remember when we started to like know each other. Like right. I don't remember the first time I met you, like when Me we either. actually interacted. It was just like you know, we eventually were in the same circle and then you're around and then we'll just yeah. over time, you know, we've gotten to know each other, but I just had that very strong uh <laughs> like who does imp- this girl think this she very is? strong impression, but no now that I know you more I, you are still different than everybody else. You are a little bit unusual of mm-hmm. a person. I mean, yeah. maybe, I don't know if this is true or not, but I have 
I put a lot of effort and work into my profession of being a journalist and that's still very important to me. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of comics, like that's the number one thing in their life. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that like well, comedy is a hobby to me necessarily. It's kind of a part of my bigger picture, yeah. but that is an ambition of mine. Yeah. Like, and I've put in a lot of work and it's like I'm progressed, I feel like, uh -huh. pretty well in that uh -huh. aspect of my life um and my job is not a not is never right. been like a job to me it's never been like a nine to five thing it's always like had meaning in yeah, the same way pursuit. that it's a pursuit and a choice the way that i feel like comedy is a pursuit and absolutely a choice. same yeah um so i don't know if that it resonates does, definitely with you, with the yes other comics you well it it just it just um you just have a different vibe coming off of you because you're like I'm a serious person and like even though not to say that you're not fun mm -hmm. I am fun I promise yeah <laughs> not to say that you're not fun or you, you don't like and and you do hang out now yeah um, I've always hung out Sean just maybe not with you <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um I notice you hanging out more yeah. than I used to but uh but I think though it's rare to have a comedian a local comedian who has such a serious job that is kind of your job in a way it it's with you all the time yeah because you are always somewhat representing you know whoever you're writing for or you're representing yourself in your career and yeah. wherever you are at any moment you are kind of a public figure whereas the rest of local comics maybe people recognize them from comedy but they can do whatever they want. I mean, nobody cares about, most of the people don't care about their day jobs. They want to be comedians. They're new comedians. No one knows who they are yet. So there's not, there's low stakes for everyone. Whereas like you're kind of like alone in local comedy in a high stakes job. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And that provides a level of like, when I'm at an open mic at Big Hunt, mm -hmm. I'm not actually able to, it's weird because it's just so ingrained in who I am anyway. It's not like I would just like rip loose the way I might in a private conversation. Right. And maybe that's kind of getting at your earlier question about like revealing yourself totally. Mm -hmm. That like no matter where I am, like someone could be pulling out a phone and recording it. Yeah. And could make the life and work of my colleagues, not just me, like harder because yeah. of the association. Because something is... Uh, in bad faith misinterpreted because right. you can't control like people are always going to interpret things in bad faith too yeah of course so like it's a high wire like whereas i feel like maybe for other comics i don't know i'm just assuming like when you're at a mic you feel like a certain level of just like freedom yes to totally let loose totally. And I, I feel freedom at an open mic but not like the way that others do yeah. because of because of that yeah and so there's actually a lot of calculation that has to go in to what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and maybe that is holding me back in some way in comedy. And then also just the level of work and effort I'm put, I have to put into this other aspect of my life doesn't allow, like I'm not able to go up like every night. I think the only thing that holds you back in comedy is how much work you have to do in your other job is yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's your other, it's your parallel career. Yeah. Which like it, it, in one lens, it holds you back. But then in the other lens, I'm not trying to pursue these things as oh, like I know. separate lanes, right? Like my idea, my vision is like, you know, that these things inform each other. I think, and I hear this from the comics that I interview 
um, cause I don't reveal to them that I do stand up unless like it naturally comes up in conversation. Okay. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't want to create this dynamic where they think I'm trying to get something out of them or yeah, of that course. they think that I'm putting myself at their level. Yes. Like I'm here for a specific role. Um, but anyway, I've heard from them like, you know, when they do discover that, that they appreciate some of the questions I'm asking or like, oh, you really like know what you're talking about because it doesn't even matter if you're just like a local comic in your local scene. If you're doing it enough, like you understand what it means to be in front of people. Totally. You understand what it means to work with different audiences, what good energy is, what bad energy is, like how when you're performing, there's like four trains of thought going in your mind at the same time as you're just trying to be present and allow for something magic. Like all of these experiences... I think help me be a better journalist when I'm writing about comedy. Of course, of course. Rather than somehow compromising. Because I also know what it means to be in the audience. I also know what it means to be in the green room. I also know what it means when you're putting a show together. Like, I've been in those spaces in my life. And so I'm just always trying to bring like a 360 view. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's made me better at that. And the comics I interview like say they appreciate that. Yeah. Um, when I say that it's holding you back, I only mean that... Um, if you had a day job you didn't care about and you did comedy all the time, yeah. I think you would be much further along in comedy. But I understand that that is not your goal. That's not what you're trying to do. You yeah. know, you're trying, you're trying to do something very interesting. And I mean, you have a great career as a journalist already, which is amazing. Yeah, and I'm like so thankful for yeah. that because it's like a very difficult, crazy industry. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and I have to remind myself of that because, you know, I told you when I started and who was in the scene then. Yeah. And those people put in so much. I mean, they're very talented and of very course. good. They also put in a lot of work mm -hmm. and focused attention on that. And I just didn't. Yeah. I didn't put the same amount of work and focused attention on that one thing. And mm -hmm. that's why, like, I do what I do now. Yeah. Who's to say, like, if I had done that, maybe I wouldn't have become anything. Um but maybe I would have because I do know that I'm a really hard worker um, yeah. and that I have a strong work ethic. So I think that actually in comedy can go a long way and can compensate where maybe your talent is lacking. I um, mean, career wise, I mean, in terms of like those people who are doing comedy when you started, it's like there's only like four of them that are ahead of you, you know, in terms of like having great careers, like where your career is right now and the, where their careers as comedians. Like, yeah, there's a couple of famous people now from from then, like like Rory and Aparna, but there's hardly any of them. Like most of the people who are doing stand-up are still fighting to establish themselves and, and have careers. And, you know, you're, you're in a great position, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, feel really, I feel very like blessed in my life. And I, when I see people doing well, like whether they started before me or after me, I want to have nothing but like excitement enjoy their success um and to say like i saw them like form that of course. i remember when they started it's so amazing like it just fills you up and i'm sure like you feel you know like when you see comics who started in your rooms like go on to do amazing things like you you're providing the opportunity for them to become to get good you know yeah i mean i'm definitely happy to be a part of it it's yeah. definitely exciting to watch i think the other thing is just as you progress as a comic, once you get to a certain level of success, then the question becomes, what do you want to do with your career? Like, there are a very small number of people who only do stand-up. Most people are going to become a writer. They're going to get into acting. They're going to be on the radio, podcast, TV. And so 
you're already developed you've already developed the other part of it as you're standing you, you know what i'm saying like yeah. you're it's it's not like it's just all about stand-up and that's all these yeah. people are doing you know what are what are rory and aparna doing now like they're on tv shows like they're they're Boys doing other stuff yeah exactly writing, yeah. they're not really up you don't think you don't see aparna on stage non-stop you don't see rory on stage non-stop anymore like they're they're doing other things now and so when you look back at the full career like there are a lot of other aspects to it comedy is only one of the parts of it and so you're doing it in a unusual order (laughs) but it's still I think you can end up in the same place yeah and I also think like for me I don't want to get too attached to form because you know I like I graduated college in 2006 Twitter didn't exist. I was going to say, who like, can be attached to form? Who you can't can be attached be. to form? You can't afford to be. You can't afford to be podcast. Like, what was even that? Like, all of this stuff. So I, and this is maybe one of my issues, is I'm, like, so unattached to form that you can sometimes feel formless. Mm-hmm. Um, but the decade of my 20s is, like, I'm now, like, in my mid-30s, um, was very much just putting a bunch of effort into everything and just mm-hmm. working really, really hard. And I think when you're in your 30s, it's the time to refine mm-hmm. and bring a little more focus. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do now. Um, I've been really proud of some of the stuff I've done at the Washington Post lately and writing about comedy. I feel like, you know, people have enjoyed reading it mm-hmm. and also the people I'm writing about feel like, you know, it was accurate. They understand, yeah. They understand it was like an accurate representation of, of the reality of things. Um, and so, you know, now that I'm looking ahead to stand up, like my goal has never been to like, I want to be a comic who's on the road all the time, who gets half hour specials, hour specials. I'm not right. saying these things are not gr- great things. Sure. They're just like weren't the things for me right um whereas i think what i'm trying to do is like through stand-up develop like certain abilities and you know my friend one of my dear friends who has these dreams that like basically tell the future (laughs) she lives on the west coast and we have not talked about stand-up in a long time and she called me up she's like i had a dream last week where you told me you wanted to quit stand-up and i begged you not to weird i pleaded with you not to and i said you can't because you love it you shouldn't care about what will it bring in your life and what will come of it? You just have to do it because you love it. It was funny when she told me this because it wasn't like I was thinking about quitting, but sometimes the calculation comes in your mind where like you're getting yourself out to do a bunch of shows. Like, why am I even doing this? And so it reconnected me to this feeling of like, I should only do this if I'm like in the moment, like I want to do it now. I'm not trying to like, you know, put together a career around this, but it can still feel focused. You I know? think it'll make your comedy better too if so you too. have that if you have that approach to versus this is my career and I have to go do these things in order to be good, even though I don't want to do them. Yeah, and because I don't have to. Yeah, that's the other thing that right. like I'm in a position where I don't have to right. like I don't have to pay take a paid gig if the idea of doing that gig sounds miserable Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. Because I have like a steady income from a good job. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's a very valuable. And I don't need to take like a gig for like exposure because like, what is that even? I, You know, but that might lead to like gigs that seem on the surface not as like great or whatever, prestigious, but like what's the most fun to me? Right. I just yeah. want to do things that like, because I think I perform best when I feel excited and when I'm having fun and I feel good about myself. Some people like I get yeah, it you're right. you have to be miserable, whatever. If I feel miserable and shitty about myself, it does. I don't. It does not go yeah, well. That makes sense. <laughs> that I can see how that would fit perfectly with your personality. <laughs> 
you're really? not you're not a like i had a terrible day and now i'm gonna rant about it on stage comic. yeah that's not fun for anyone no, no. yeah i gotta like journal about that <laughs> yeah yeah that's a separate that's a separate part of your life yeah well thank you very much for doing the podcast i think everything's going great for you and Thanks, uh <laughs> you know it's good to have you on all the shows yeah you didn't get any like super top secret info out of me but not no, that anyone didn't. really cares we can do a follow-up one and, Sweet. and i'll do all the personal information yeah yeah all right thank you thanks john for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com <laughs>